Gamers Anonymous, episode 60. This week, our feature is, if you like Ticket to Ride, try out these games. Plus, reviews of Baseball Highlights 2045, Flea Marketeers, and from the Tempest Universe, Cordier. Plus our news, reviews, and previews of everything in the tabletop industry. listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. This is Anthony. This is Daniel. And this is Drew. Welcome to the episode, everyone. We're so glad to have you join us here this week. This week, we're going to talk about a classic game that everyone loves, an entry-level, true gateway game, Ticket to Ride. And then, once we talk about that, we're going to talk about all the different routes, quote-unquote, that you can take from Ticket to Ride into a larger world of gaming. There is much, much more than that gateway game. And we're not going to bring you to other gateway games. We're going to bring you into mechanics and elements of Ticket to Ride that play out even better in other games. So that's going to be great. We're going to talk about our acquisition disorders, our at-the-tables. Before we get into all of that, Anthony was going to bring us some information on our upcoming episode that we want you to participate in. Anthony? All right. So we last summer we did kind of a fun thing, um, a little off the cuff, to celebrate the World Cup. We did our World Cup of Fantasy Games and it was a lot of fun, and we got a lot of great feedback, and we knew we had to do something like that again. Uh, the most logical sporting event for which to have any kind of special episode, of course, is uh, the basketball tournament, the NCAA tournament coming up in March. Um, we're not going to call it by its real name for legal reasons, but we may co-opt part of that name, and we're going to be doing our own tabletop madness segment over the next couple weeks. So what we're doing is we're pulling together a list of the 68 best board games that we've played and we want you guys to enter any games that you want to see on the bracket as well so we are taking nominations we have i believe right now 17 open bids um so if you're listening to this there's probably a few left and all you have to do is hop on over to twitter uh boardgamersanonymous.com uh you know just leave a comment on this episode or facebook where you can find posts about this and just let us know what game you want to see in that bracket and we will include it uh, based on the number of votes. So uh, we definitely want to see as many games out there from our listeners as we can. So let us know what you want to see in there. We'll put it into one of the themed uh, regions in the bracket, and uh, we'll be releasing that here in about a week. So, Anthony, this madness that's going to be happening, what month will this be happening in? Um, The third month of the year. Oh, okay. All right. Third month. Mm. It's that legally yeah. distinct month that we can't speak about? Yeah, the one right after February. It's right before April. <laughs> the month that uh, shall not be named. <laughs> the number sixty-eight. There's something something distinctive about that. Is there any <laughs> other um, group or organization that does anything with the number sixty-eight? I don't March? think so. That can't uh, be right. Huh? It's a strange number. One of these days, the NCAA is just going to go to 128 teams. It's going to happen. <laughs> just have the whole league in there. Yeah, might as well. <laughs> Seed them all and let them, let them beat them out. Yeah, that would be more fun, actually, because everybody plays. Yay! That's it. Everyone gets a, a ribbon. <laughs> that's, you know, that's what it's supposed to be. We're just having fun. Everybody gets to play. 
Why, why do some people not get to play? That doesn't seem very fair. That just, it just ruins sports, man. It just ruins sports. Don't bring everybody in. Well, is uh, uh, so if we actually think about that, that would mean that professional sports, as, as we know it or as we call it, are not Euro games, right? They're Ameritrash or Americlash, as Daniel would say, right? It's every, usually in a Euro game, everyone gets to play till the very end. Not so much, right? That's true. That's true. Elimination. Yeah, there's some player elimination going on there. I'm serious. Yep. <laughs> I'm telling you guys, if if this was up to me, and it is a little because I'm one of four people, uh, <laughs> we would say. do we would do a special sporting episode like every month. Um, but we only get to do a couple a year, and this is going to be a big one. So if you want to be involved, hit us up and let us know what you want to see. And I know that's always the big contention when you have to listen to this massive list of games go through. And you're like, why? Why? Why didn't they have this game? I really want to see this game up for a challenge. And it just did not make the list for some reason. But now, now your games can make the list. So be sure to kind of get in contact with us and let us know what games you think should be finding out for the... The importance of, you know, you getting this information to us is because, as always... Our failings are really your fault. <laughs> really, it's your responsibility. You're supposed to be telling us what to do. If, if you don't like what we're doing, you really need to be looking in the mirror because clearly <laughs> all of our failings, they're really on you. That's a strong indictment, Daniel. How long <laughs> well, you been I don't think we have that many failings, Anthony. So <laughs> I think that our listeners are doing pretty great because, you know, this is a pretty great podcast, but apparently you have a different opinion. Uh-huh. I feel like I walked into a trap on that. <laughs> you activated my trap card. <laughs> well, with that being said, shout it from the tabletops. <laughs> Sir, you're going to need to get down from there. Shout it from the tabletops. You got to do it with an echo, Chris, if you're going to say it. Um, yeah, I got some news for you. Uh, Board Game Geek, a couple bits of news about them, one of which they've, they've hit 1 million registered users. I'm not talking about 1 million visitors because they passed that a long time ago, but actually 1 million people have signed up, and that's a pretty big milestone. These are people have taken the time to be a part. They're, they're a minority still in the gaming community. There are a lot more silent uh, gamers, casual gamers, but uh, you guys, you 1 million, you're the ones who listen to podcasts and support blogs, and we're glad you're there. I just wonder... When is Board Game Geek, the website, going to crash? It's got to happen any day now. <laughs> Thanks, Drew. <laughs> Those guys. That, that's grown so quickly in such a short period of time. They're, they're quite a busy site, but they keep, uh, they keep coming up with something new. They've uh, had the Golden Geek Awards. That's another big uh, news item for this, uh, this month. Every year they do their own Game of the Year Awards, the Golden Geeks. And this year, the Golden Geek Award went to Dead of Winter, Five Tribes, Splendor. Okay, you can tell by the tone of my voice. Um, <laughs> Splendor was the award for uh, Game of the Year. They also had a lot of really good categories. I got I to gotta congratulate them for that. They gave awards to two-player games, abstract games, children's games, print-and-play games. So they, they recognized a lot of different uh, categories. Um, some interesting ones, a solo game of the year was Imperial Settlers, a party what, game. What? Yeah. <laughs> party game was Cash and Guns, second edition. 
Um, Dead of Winter did get an award for the most innovative game. So really, um, you know, most of those awards I can't quibble with. Did any of you guys have any uh, of your opinions on, on the awards? Yeah, I mean, Splendor's a tough one because it's not the best game released last year. Uh, I think we can all agree on that. It's a good game. I don't I don't have a problem with it. I know some people do after multiple plays. I have fun with it. Um, but it's there's so many great games that came out last year, so I find that surprising. And yet I don't because when we were at Dreamation, everybody was playing that, and people were bidding way too much money to buy it <laughs> in the auction. So I'm not really surprised based on the demand there. It was cool to see like the print-and-play category, and then I saw that game the game that won it was up in the, the hotness for quite a few days before yeah. checking that out. Imperial Settlers as a solo game, that's great. There are a lot of good solo games that came out last year or games with solo variants, but I played that one a lot with my son. And while it's not particularly challenging, which is a little frustrating, it is a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm glad to see that that one got recognized for, especially for including like a solo variant with special cards in the box. That was kind of cool. I think the solo category is just going to keep growing. I think so. It is, like, I get a lot of good feedback. I know there's a few listeners out there who share with me, you know, what they're playing solo. I've had a lot of conversations on Twitter about the Lord of the Rings card game. Uh, I picked up some decks, mm-hmm. actually, a couple weeks ago to start doing some build deck building because the, uh, the core set is not great for solo play. Oh. Um, so people gave me some recommendations on that. Uh, I got some recommendations on Uwe Rosenberg games to play solo. Uh, his newest game is a one-to-two-player game, and apparently it's really good. It's 80 bucks though, for a solo uh, game, so it's a little rough, but uh, got a lot of good recommendations there. So it's uh, it seems to be something that has a lot of following, especially among a uh, particular demographic of gamers with families who are at home by themselves uh, many nights, um, myself included. So uh, it, it will be cool to see more games come out that are kind of catering to that. Well, that game designer, Morton Monrad Pedersen, is creating a um, a special, how do we put this? It's a whole system, gaming system for solo play, the Otama, A-U, Otoma, A-U-T-O-M-A. And he says it, he can adapt that to just about any game. So we may be seeing a lot more solo variations based on his, his new system. Um, well, I know the game that we reviewed last week, Between Two Cities, he's creating uh, a solo version for that too. So assuming that they get up to 150k, which looks like they're going to the way they're headed, yeah, that, that'll be really exciting. It's it's probably the most exciting stretch goal for me. Well, a couple of the categories that I was really glad to see has to be the artwork and presentation, and the winner was Abyss. Now, this was my choice for best artwork for 2014. If you haven't seen Abyss, you're really missing out. First off, the multiple different box covers. I mean... What guts did this company have to be able to put out all these different box covers and without any words? So you were actually had a choice of five different box covers, all beautiful artwork. And it was that was just the beginning because the inside has outstanding kind of mermen and mermaid kind of deep sea dwelling, beautiful and alien looking creatures. And this was by Javier Colette and just outstanding and really such a beautiful work of art. And it's always nice to see that in a board game because oftentimes when people think about board games, they think of little wooden cubes and little boring boards, but, you know, bravo to him. And he's done artwork before with uh, Dixit. 
and it, it shows. It's really some outstanding work, and I'm glad to have it as part of my collection. And it's something that everyone should play. And then the other category, which I really like seeing too, was an, a, a category for expansions. Oftentimes, expansions are kind of left behind. And a lot of work, and sometimes probably even more work, is put into creating a great expansion because you have this base game, you're going to release this expansion, you want to make the game better, and you don't want to hurt it. And Seven Wonders Babel won for this expansion, which was also one of my picks. And it's an outstanding expansion. It's actually two mini expansions that you can play at the same time or play separately. Terra Mystica Fire and Ice came up second, I guess. And then the runner-up was Tuscany, Expand the World of Viticulture, which is another outstanding expansion. But I guess that was it. There really wasn't anything else And as far as the Geek Awards were going. No, no other interesting category. No, that was about it. Well, whoa, it... whoa, whoa now. <laughs> whoa, 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 You're wait. You're clearly missing the most important category. Oh, yes, best podcast. The winner was the Dice Tower. Congratulations to Tom Vassell and Eric Sumner. What a great podcast, guys. Outstanding congratulations. Okay, now we can move on. You know that wasn't what I was talking about. <laughs> I was talking about the 2014 RPG Geek winners, what, which were announced at the same time. Uh, and <laughs> unsurprisingly, D&D 5th Edition just swept the awards. They got Game of the Year, as they deserved, uh, followed by Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition and Firefly Role Playing Game. They got every single uh, award in Best Artwork and Presentation, the Player's Handbook, then the DM's Guide, then the Starter Set. They got Best Supplement, and they didn't get Best Podcast because they don't do a podcast. And that, that's about it. Uh, so I do think it's worth noting that D&D is just, 5th edition has just been a resounding success. Mm-hmm. Not just commercially, not just with you know casual fans of the genre, but it totally swept these awards. Can we just rename the award like the D&D awards? You know, they do that <laughs> in baseball. They, they just name the award after the best person in that category. So The Gygax Award. That would be the great. Gygax, the Gygax, yeah. That would be amazing. Also, Hearthstone won some awards, too. I don't know if we want to talk about that, but it's a thing. We all love it, and we all talked about it, and Drew yells at us each and every time we do. So, yay to Hearthstone. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Hearthstone Podcast, the podcast about Hearthstone and annoying Drew. And how much we get destroyed at Hearthstone. (laughs) So much, you guys. You know, I didn't even see Hearthstone. I barely saw Hearthstone on any of the lists that... um, ICV2 put up. They do a quarterly report on the top games, uh, hobby games, every quarter. Um, and they did it again along with uh, an interesting bit of news that, uh, the end of the year news, that this is the sixth straight year of growth in the hobby game industry. Six consecutive years of growth. That's great. So it continues uh, upward trend. 15% the market grew in 2014. A total of uh, 225 percent in the last six years which means it's grown two and a quarter times what it was six years ago um incredible movement they uh they use such phrases as blowout holiday season um, a broad-based influx of new customers oddly they also use the phrase growing awareness of the hobby i thought everyone was aware of it but um everyone's getting into it even more than ever so all the all the little articles that we keep reading about in the New York Times and all these magazines, it's true. It's a thing. More and more ordinary people are becoming geeks. <laughs> Top games, 
I'm not even going to um, make this. Uh, I'm just going to make this straight ahead simple because it's the same top games as before. The collectible card games, Magic the Gathering, um, the top board games are Catan, Ticket to Ride in the Kings of Tokyo, New York. Card dice games, Munchkin, Pathfinder Adventures, Cards Against Humanity, RPGs, you know, D&D, Pathfinder, Star Wars. They have two other games I've never heard, two other RPGs, Numenera and Fate in the four and five positions. Daniel, you've heard of those? Uh, yeah, I've not had a chance to play either. I'm more familiar with Fate than Numenera. It's a pretty interesting system. It's definitely worth taking a look at if you're into role-playing games. It takes a very different tack than D&D does. Uh, but comes up with some interesting solutions. The group I play with mostly doesn't uh, like it so much. They really like the character creation, but didn't like the way it played. I don't mind it. I think it's a good system. I think it's a very strong system, um, but it is not D&D. So if people are no. look, thinking of that as what a role-playing game is, that'll be a little bit of a shock, but it'll be a good shock because it will sort of expand your palette for role-playing games. Well, it's um, it's an alternative, and enough people have chosen that to make it number five on the RPG list for the last quarter. Uh, number five with a bullet, rising all the time. Uh, the tabletop day we mentioned last week, uh, the, the list of the promo kits were revealed. They have two different stages of promo kits that uh, store owners and organizers can get. A lot of interesting games, a lot of interesting promos, but not much that's actually related to the games that were on tabletop. One one blogger, Scott Thorne from ICV2, I read that a lot. That's a great news website. Um, just sort of picked apart the list and wondered why there weren't more more games from the games that they actually played on the show. You wonder... You know, these publishers, they had such great exposure. You know, maybe we can get them to support Tabletop Day a little more. It'd be nice to see. But uh, thanks to all the publishers that did uh, throw in promo items, and uh, I'm looking forward to Tabletop Day. I hope you guys are too. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. And as we said before, if your store is not having an international Tabletop Day, let them know because they can order those kits and get some people together. And even if they are, or even if it's not your area and it's not a store, get a bunch of people together. It's a good opportunity to let new gamers know that this is going on and just get together at home and play some great games. Yeah, don't need a promo kit. Just tell people what you're doing and when and have some fun with it. That is our news from the tabletop for this week. And if you guys can excuse me for a little bit, I still have a lot more snow to shovel here in Vermont. It's been... (laughs) solid white since i moved up here a month ago but if you'll let me back in i'd love to join you for final round all right drew that sounds great and while you're out there shoveling snow if you could come up with a euro game that's about shoveling snow that would be awesome because it seems like we're all doing it and we're all losing <laughs> so if you can come or at the very least come up with a strategy guide to deal with all this that's that's sound like more like an ameritrash game we're all yeah we're all getting buried and we're out of the game we're just <laughs> i don't know losing. though if you know, you could do a pretty good game. Like, you shovel onto each other's porch, right? Oh, like, man, yeah. That actually be kind of... You could make a game out of that. <laughs> okay. I can do that. We'll think about that. <laughs> All right. I'll talk to you guys a little later. All right. So that's our Shout It From The Tabletop. And now, our acquisition disorders. 
Acquisition Tesaurus, that's crazy. Only needs the base game, nothing else but the base game. The base game and the expansion, see, nothing else. Just the base game and the expansion and the promos. The base game, the expansion, and the promos, and of course, the upgraded components. Why wouldn't you have the upgraded components? So the base game, the expansion, the promos, and the upgraded components. See, that's not too much, but maybe, I don't know, maybe you might need the expansion. All right, now our acquisition disorders. Yeah, so I, I think I found the most poignant case of acquisition disorder I've ever had, which is for the D&D white box. Oh, now, the D&D White Box is the original Dungeons & Dragons box set as published by TSR in 1974 with a, some, you know, it's a reprint of that at least. Uh, so they've changed up a few things, added some new cover art while the interior retains sort of the old style art. And it's in this nice like wooden box with an engraved image on it. It's absolutely beautiful. I want it way more than is rational because i mean we're never going to use it right? no one's going to be like hey let's break out D first edition i mean <laughs> i might want to do that but you'd have to really be committed to let's explore role-playing games as a genre to really want to break that out well that's not it's, us at all so no 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 that would never happen here <laughs> fair enough but it's also about 150 dollars so it's this Ooh. 150 dollar gorgeous thing that I want to buy and just put on my shelf and look at every day. And I want it so, so bad, but I know it's totally irrational. <laughs> That's what this segment's for. Exactly. Right. This is exactly right. It's, uh, I just, yeah, I can't believe I missed it when it had just come out. It's actually been out for a while. It was released November, 2013, but guys, I want this really, really <laughs> badly. <laughs> I'm never going to get it, but I want it so bad. So you never... That's my acquisition disorder. The original D&D, or the reprint of the original D&D white box. How about you, Anthony? All right, so for me, um, I'm actually going to talk about this game a little bit later, and that's uh, Baseball Highlights 2045. But during that campaign, which was a Kickstarter that ran maybe eight, nine months ago, um, you could also buy a collection of Mystery Rummy uh, games and these are all the different card games that Mike Fitzgerald had worked on over the years. Cool. And they're they're each kind of a different tweak on the rummy formula. Uh, there's a Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. There's a Jack the Ripper. A few different options there. And to to be perfectly honest, every game I've played by Mike Fitzgerald thus far has been amazing. He made me love a trick taking game, so he won my trust right there. <laughs> uh, and there's five of these, I believe. And you could buy any of them with this Kickstarter. And I didn't do that because I didn't know who he was at the time. I just knew it was a baseball game. So I backed the base game. The rest of these are now available um, or soon to be available in you know regular space. They, they were reprinted along with that um, by Eagle Griffin. And I definitely want to check them out. You know, They rank decently well on Board Game Geek, but rankings and reviews aside this is a guy who has earned my trust fully with the two or three games of his i've now played and uh i like rummy too so it'll be fun to have kind of a unique thematic twist on that well that sounds great i really love diamonds so i'm looking forward to trying out his other games absolutely yeah i mean diamonds itself right there that's kind of a you know a good spin on hearts and you know he managed to make it a gamer's game despite it kind of tweaking a formula that's centuries old so um <laughs> should be lots of fun he seems to know what he's doing when it comes to cards so i will definitely check those out well my acquisition disorder 
is something that Trickion Legends of Illusion. Now, this was a recent Kickstarter that I actually backed. It's by Mind Clash Games. And what's interesting about this game is it has this type of old-time Euro-type steampunk worker placement game, kind of a 19th-century cityscape where you are a magician or illusionist or some sort of mystic person of some, you know, elk. And as one of these different characters, you're putting on magic tricks for this great audience. And you're doing this separately. You you have your own game and you're trying to beat out the other players and you're trying to put on the best shows possible. But at the same time, when you're putting a show on, there'll be other performers. So there is actually some kind of co-op happening as far as when the shows are actually performed and what days you perform the shows. And there's also some magic and some spirituality and a little pinch of supernatural. It comes with the Dark Alley expansion. So it's going to give you a number of different what they call prophecy tokens that can kind of change the game and give you special abilities. And there's a and there's different apprentices that could help you throughout the game, whether it's you know, building blueprints or constructing components for magic tricks. So it has a lot of that old-timey nostalgia, you know, as far as when magic was this wondrous, beautiful art. And uh, the artwork alone, speaking about art, is outstanding. Although, if you take a look at this game, I don't know how large a table might have to be to fill everything here because the board alone is probably larger than even the Ticket to Ride 10th anniversary with all the components kind of and all the little separate sides to it. So I don't know where I'm going to fit this. It's probably going to play on the floor, but hopefully this game has a little bit of magic itself because I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to somehow fitting it on the table or, you know, on the wall or up in the air or something. But um, tricky on Legends of Illusion. If you didn't pick it up on Kickstarter, take a look at it when it uh, hits stores. All right, so that's our acquisition disorders. And now at the table with BGA. All right, so let's talk about our at the table. Now we're going back to Dreamation 2015. It was about two weeks ago, and it's still in our heads. So we want to talk to you about some of the games that hit our table. Anthony, why don't you start us off with that? Going in the Wayback Machine? Whoosh. All right. Uh, so I, ta- I mentioned this just a few minutes ago, and that is Baseball Highlights 2045, the newest card game from Mike Fitzgerald. Uh, he kickstarted this one with Eagle Griffin Games uh, last year sometime. I don't remember exactly when, but I did back it. So I got a copy back in January when it, when it uh, went out. And it's... Basically, what I think happened is Mike Fitzgerald designed a baseball game and then realized that baseball is a super boring theme and he can't, (laughs) he's not going to be able to use real teams. So then he put robots and cyborgs and all sorts of crazy stuff in here um, to give it some kind of theme. Not that the theme is bad, it's a lot of fun, the artwork's awesome. Um, And the way the cards interact with each other based on those variations is actually thematic. So there's no problem there. I like it, but it is kind of funny because the way the game plays out could easily just be baseball, the card game. Um, but I think we all know in this hobby that would probably not sell. Um, so there was a little bit of a tweak to it. 
Uh, the game itself is it's basically a two-player card game. Um, the box says one to four players. There's a one-player variant that involves um, an AI player. There is a four-player variant, which is basically a tournament. Um, so you're still playing two-player two-player games. The box comes with enough components to play with four people, so it's fair to say it's a four-player game, but you can't actually play four players at one board. If you have four people, you're going to be playing two separate games of two. So it's a two-player game, like most of uh, his games. The The object of the game is to score more runs than your opponent, but the interesting thing is you're going to play multiple mini-games. Every, every mini-game you play is basically one hand of cards. You're going to draw six cards out of your little mini-deck, of 15, that's your team, and you're going to play them one at a time uh, in order, alternating with the other player, and you're going to try to score the most runs in that particular mini game. It takes about five minutes. It's, it's really quick. A full game or round of baseball highlights will last about an hour, though, because there's going to be between seven and ten of these mini games. Usually what you'll do is three really short ones to help build up your hand. This is kind of a deck building game at the end of each mini game you'll be able to use whatever points are on the cards that you've played to purchase free agents um and when you buy a free agent usually they're better first off so they're it's a more powerful card but you also get to remove a card from your deck because you can only have 15 cards at any point in time so you're actually going to make your deck stronger as you go Uh, those first three games basically allow you to upgrade your deck to the point that it's more it's more powerful and more strategic. So you can build it around whatever your strategy is. And then you're going to play a World Series in which you play uh, best of seven with the other player. Uh, the game is super quick. It was a lot of fun. It felt thematic. Uh, had a lot of the elements of baseball. Um, and I love baseball. My favorite sport. But it was not so beholden to the rules that it couldn't play with things a little bit uh, using that theme. So obviously certain certain elements of certain players are better than others um you know robots are particularly good hitters cyborgs are particularly good pitchers Um, naturals which is just humans apparently in the year 2045 we're going to call them naturals they're really good defenders they're more intuitive so you're going to buy different cards based on the different elements of the game you're trying to strengthen the names of the players are kind of fun Basically, he took the first or last name of famous players in history and kind of mashed them all up. So you'll get things like Mickey Bonds. So you know you know who both of those players are, but he kind of mashed them together. And it, the, out of the box, you get four teams, uh, base sets, and then a bunch of free agent cards. But as part of the Kickstarter, there were four expansions. My version came with two. It was just a standard version. There was a deluxe version that came with all four and these will probably keep shipping. The box has a ton of room in it for more expansions, so hopefully he has more planned. But I had a lot of fun with this. Drew and I played it at Dreamation a couple times, and it's a game that you can pull out and play pretty quickly. It took very little time to teach, and um, it manages to cover that Mike Fitzgerald card game, therefore being awesome, and scratch the baseball itch that I have yet to find a good game for in the uh, tabletop hobby. Wow, that sounds great. I'm really looking forward to playing this. Did you feel like the different teams were balanced? Uh, Yeah. I mean, the thing about the teams is they're kind of generic, and they're supposed to be. It's kind of like if you're playing a deck builder and you get that starting hand of, Mm -hmm. you know, seven and three, and it's just generic blah. Uh, (laughs) It's the same thing, except they're a little different for each team. Okay. Um, And so the artwork's a little different, the colors are a little different, but it's really just kind of that starting hand. The real 
meat of this game is in that free agent deck sure where you're going to get more powerful players who can hit more and have better defensive stats um and they're worth more so that when you use them later you can buy more powerful cards down the line is there meta popping up yet on this probably i haven't really taken a look uh too much kind of just getting a feel for the game um the forums are pretty active though and from what I've heard from the people I've played with and from the things I've read, people are definitely enjoying the game. The only issue I see is that he's there's obviously a lot of room for expansion. And other than what's come out with the Kickstarter, I don't see anything yet um, additional. It's only been a few months, and it's really only been like a month and a half since the game actually hit anybody's shelf. So, you know, we'll give it some time. But um, the tournament element of this game is very interesting to me because it's basically built in i mean the four player version of the game is around robin and there are specific instructions in the rule book for how to set up a tournament and i think it lends itself very well to that format so if expansions keep coming out and the deck building element continues to grow i think this could be a really cool tournament game we'll see how popular it becomes i love baseball but i don't know how many other board gamers do as well so it could be a limited audience <laughs> well while you're watching a baseball game it's probably a good time to play this game because some of those games could last a really long time <laughs> that is true you could get in a lot of mini games with this one <laughs> during an actual game all right a game that i was able to get to the table this week was flea marketeers this is by gut busting games now in this game you are a person trying to sell your real trashy goods for as much money as possible. So you get this little player mat, and it's supposed to kind of represent the different tables that you have in your flea market. At the start of the game, you'll get some odd items, and the items themselves won't have a price on it, but they'll have a specially designated number. Now, what you need to do is look in your own price guide. And now this is the real fun part of this game, that each player gets their own price guide. Now, based upon the number on that card, you will check the price guide, and then you will have a price for that item that may be from zero to $100. Now, the victory condition in this game is to have the most money and or the most goods that are worth the most money at the end of the game. So you want to keep the items that are worth $100 or maybe hopefully get more money for them, and then anything that's less you can put up for sale. So everybody else looks at their price guides and, you know, gets a sense of what those things are worth and then will bid. Now, you get to decide which bid you take. So if you did have something, you know, that in your price guide goes for 50, you could sell it for 20, but obviously you want to sell it for more than that. So the game goes around as each round you'll get a new item to put on your board. There's also action cards. Now, these action cards are hugely powerful in the game. They let you steal items, destroy items, mess with other people. Um, They're just really, really powerful cards. Thankfully, you only get one of them each round, and you can only play two of them on a turn. And there's only a certain number of spots on your board where you can put items. Now, you'll also be able to get concession cards throughout the game, so things like cotton candy or corn dogs you'll be able to put as part of your concession so once the cards run out the game comes to an end you'll count up all the monetary value of all your items and all the cash that you have and the person with the most cash wins the game now 
being that this game is kind of an open market auction game, the game tends to bog down a lot because you really need to have everybody active and going each and every step of the way. Because with your own personal flea market, you can put anything that you have there up for sale. So some people might come back and forth, they might want to offer you money, and they might take it back, and then some other people will jump in and then jump out. So the idea is good. The items are these photographic, really odd things like old phones or old doll heads or um, strange pennies and, you know, just really kind of really garbagey kind of things that you're trying to pass off that may worth be worth a lot of money for you. But because the auction mechanic is not structured very well, the game ran exceptionally long, and when you had to play those action cards that kind of mess with other people, people were not happy about that, obviously. And since that kind of played into how they were bidding, it really slowed the game down a lot, and you had this kind of like you know, tit for tat kind of thing. Like, you hit me with a card, so I'm not going to bid on this, or I'm going to bid on this and then not, you know, take back my bid, or maybe I'll play this on the concession stand. So, idea-wise, great idea. Execution, so clunky that the game probably took twice as long as it really should. And I have to give this game a dodge, just because it was just, there was just so much left to players who... You know, when it comes to an auction mechanic, people are kind of a little bit lost to begin with, and the game just kind of spun out of control. So that was Flea Marketeers. Yeah, when we walked over there to find you, nobody at the table looked happy. <laughs> no. And the thing is, too, is, you know, you're, build, you're trying to build a tableau, and, you know, by a tableau, I mean that little board that you have. You're trying to put your items there that are worth a lot of money, and you're either, you know, you're spending sometimes you know, five minutes bidding for something, then you win the bid and you get the item and then someone plays some random card on you and it destroys the item and you're like, all right, I spent five minutes for it. Or another thing that was happening was towards the end of the game, you had this huge tableau of all these items that were worth a lot of money and you just wanted to hold on to them. I mean, there's no reason to try to put something up for bid if you could get $90 for it. What do you say? Um, start the bidding at $90 because most people are not going to go for that. Very few people would have it for $100. So the game kind of bogs down to, well, I really don't want to sell anything, so you go, and the next person says the same thing. And so at times there was really little bidding at all. And, uh, you know, the cards are pretty random, so whether or not you get something that's worth your while is really up to complete luck. I know for most of the game, I didn't have any concessions at all. And the concessions were worth, I think, between $100 and $200. And that's above and beyond any any flea market items. So I was like, I was hurting for pretty much most of the game. So yeah, this game just is, did not hit the mark for really anybody at the table. And it was it was a shame because it was a good idea and concept. So just like a flea market, sounds good in, in theory, until you get there and realize it's a bunch of poorly disorganized stuff that nobody wants. <laughs> Pretty much. This this flea market game definitely has its fleas. Well, you know, hey, it's very <laughs> thematic then. Yes. I will bid no dollars for this game. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to outbid me. <laughs> so my game the, that we played that I want to talk about is Courtier. And I'm sure most of our listeners know what Cordier is, but if they don't, it's the first game in the Tempest series. That's the series, the, the world that includes things like Canalis and uh, 
what else? Uh, Love Letter and Dominaire. Yeah, Dominaire, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cordier is a sort of area influence, person influence hand management slash card drafting game, right? You pull up hands of cards, try to influence people. When you gain dominant influence of one part of the court, you gain special powers. Uh, and that's really all I want to say about it as far as describing its rules because it isn't so much the uh, the mechanics that define this game for me. It's how poorly done this game is. It's beautifully illustrated as all Tempest games are and you'll see familiar characters like the princess, right? And the prince and the minister and all of them look pretty much exactly like they looked on the cards. But there's just a bunch of fiddly little bits in this game that contribute nothing to gameplay. The one that really started bothering me towards the end of play, and I, I, and I recognized it around turn one that, oh no, this is going to be something that's going to go wrong. And I think you guys noticed this too, is they have you essentially burn the top card of the draw pile every turn. So you, like, you turn it face up and you can buy it for extra and you, know, you buy something known. Uh, and whether or not someone buys it, the next turn a new card comes top, right? So if, if someone buys it, it's immediately replaced. If no one buys it, then it's burned. Which means that every turn you're doing this little bookkeeping thing. And it's so insignificant, and it adds so little to the game, but it means that you have to keep diverting your attention from gameplay to this tiny little fiddly thing. And that might be one of my biggest pet peeves in gaming. So I could... I, actively loathed this game as we played it. I don't know. What, what did you guys think? <laughs> he played the actively loathed card in this game. Anthony, what do you think? <laughs> um, yeah, it was a tough one for a couple of reasons. To start, the rules were a little rough. Uh, they, It wasn't that they were poorly written. It was that they made assumptions about what you would understand of the rules and then would put things in places that didn't really make sense. So if, a couple times we went to reference a rule and looked in the place that would make the most sense to place it, like in terms of the order in which you play the game, and it would be somewhere else. So if you read the entire book multiple times, you'd be fine. But if you were just trying to reference a rule, frustrating. Um, I feel like the game was probably actually fairly quick if you didn't have to do that. Mm. Um, it's probably a an one-hour game, but we played for almost two hours, and it was frustrating because we weren't really getting anywhere. Um, I think it ramps up towards the end just because, you know, when you complete any of those petitions you're going to put down a lot of neutral tokens uh, and that kind of speeds things up quite a bit later in the game but even then it's kind of frustrating it was hard to keep track of certain things on the board because of the neutral tokens coming off and on the board constantly and uh, there were just bits and pieces that didn't feel quite polished out now, for example, I know that the designer of this game, Philip DeBerry, also designed Revolution, which feels like it's not the same game, but it feels like it's a much more refined version of the same mechanic, um, kind of that bidding for influence and placement on the board. Obviously, it's very different. It's that blind bidding mechanic. Um, this one's more, yeah, everybody has their turn. Um, it's more area control focused, strictly speaking. Uh, and it does work for me, I think, in a lot of ways better than it maybe did for you, Daniel. I didn't loathe it um it's not necessarily a game it's definitely not a game i would buy and i don't know if i would play it consistently but i would probably give it another shot because i was 
intrigued by the overall thematic elements and would like to play again when I know what all the cards do um, and what all the people do. But I wasn't overly impressed either. Yeah, I think for me, you know, I love Philip DeBerry's games, and this definitely has some influence of Revolution, and it's in the Tempest universe, so as Daniel was saying, it has this outstanding artwork and this nice theme, and it's these kind of characters that we've come to know and love. And for me, having played Dominaire so much and really loving that game, and for me personally, that is the game for the Tempest universe, but let's not get into that right now. But it has very similar elements to that game because both games you're using players and you're using influence to influence certain areas of this kingdom. And by influencing those areas, you get a special ability. And those special ability cards you can be playing throughout the game if you have the majority of control. And that was a little bit of a challenge too because there's so many cubes and what's majority and what's the neutral cubes doing and who are you controlling. Um, So that mechanic, as Anthony was saying, is a little clunky when you're putting the cubes out and where does everything go and how does majority work. Because basically the game is about completing these different kind of mission cards where you must influence X amount of people on that card to gain victory points. So in the early part of the game, you're really just kind of grinding away trying to get those cubes out. And then once these kind of mission cards are completed, it it speeds up, as Anthony was saying. So this game is a play for me just because... I think once you get one or two plays under your belt, I'm hoping that it plays a lot better, a lot smoother, and it has enough elements for that area control, influence kind of control that I really do like, that I think that it's worth a second try because the rulebook is problematic at best and tragically written at worst. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I'm on the fence here in a certain way, which is, you know when you eat at a restaurant you know is supposed to be really good, but then you get food poisoning there? <laughs> and you never want to go back? Sure. You know you ought to, because it's a really good place, and what are the odds you'll have that experience twice? But you can never think of it without getting a little bit nauseated? Sure. That's my experience here with Cordier. It's like, I know people say good things about this game. I know it's supposed to be a good game, and I feel that I have some sort of obligation to give it another shot. But at the same time, I would like to wipe it from the face of gaming and never have to see it again. Like, you know, okay, it's fine. Maybe if other people want to play it. But if my alternatives were, would you like to sit quietly in this room with me or play courtier? I would sit quietly in the room just sort of looking at the person going, so, yeah. (laughs) I, I I would prefer the awkward waiting room at a doctor's office kind of day to playing courtier well i think for myself and maybe anthony would agree with this too revolution plays great plays quick is a lot of fun and if you're looking for a lighter quicker more entry-level version of this try revolution with the exclamation revolution not courtier yeah and if you want a heavier euro type of version of this dominaire is outstanding um, the only thing I will say about Dominaire, it does take a long time to play, and it can be AP-prone. So, you know, if you have a little bit of that acquisition disorder, this is going to become multiple versions of that, because as you play the cards. But both Revolution and Dominaire play so similarly that, Daniel, I would say try one of those out and see how that works for you before coming back to that one again. Sounds like a plan. All right. Well, that's what's hitting our table this week. 
All right, our feature review for this week is if you like Ticket to Ride, try dot dot dot. So on this episode, we're going to talk to you about all of the great things that Ticket to Ride has to bring to the table that you can find in a lot of other great games. So let's take you to the next step. Now, as you know, Ticket to Ride is kind of the gateway game. I mean, Catan is there, obviously, but we already talked about Catan. Ticket to Ride is kind of American version of Catan. So in this game, primarily, you're going to be having a big map. Hopefully, you're starting out with the USA map, and you throw that down. You'll be collecting cards of different colors, and these are your set collection. And once you meet the number that you need, you'll be playing that set and then building a route on this map. It plays light, it plays simple, it's colorful, it's beloved by people of all ages. Alan Moon did an outstanding job with this game. There are multiple maps, and there's pretty much a map for everything. So if you want to try out different countries and see that, you know, do a little geography thing with your family or kids, it's a really great time and an outstanding game. But let's take it from there, because you know all of that. Let's let's take it to the next level. Let's talk about some of the different mechanics the different things that you might love about Ticket to Ride that you can find in some new games. So, Daniel, why don't you start us off? All right, Chris. Well, so one thing uh, I'm going to focus on here when I talk about Ticket to Ride, and I guess I should preface this by saying I'm not a huge fan of Ticket to Ride, but I see its merit. Uh, And part of its merit comes from its use of network building. So network games are games that are all about creating long chains or continual paths Uh, And sometimes interfacing with sort of controlling areas. Uh, So there's a sort of uh, intersection between area control and network building and that networks are built up of continuous areas that one controls. And and so that's where I'm going to be focusing for these three games that I'm going to put out. These are all going to be games that I think emphasize something related to the network building aspect of Ticket to Ride. So the most obvious one is to say, so you like Ticket to Ride, which is a network building game about a public utility. How about Power Grid, which is also a network-building game about a public utility? Uh, Power Grid is like Ticket to Ride in that it is incredibly popular. I think it's a little bit heavier than Ticket to Ride, at least in my experience it has been, from my side it has been. Uh, I also think it's a good deal more satisfying than Ticket to Ride. And so I think it's a very good next step from Ticket to Ride. If you want to move up, right? if you want to get something a little more meaty power grid is a great next step from ticket to ride uh my next one uh, my next suggestion is going to be relic runners now relic runners is one of the first games i played with you guys actually it's sort of i think my audition for the podcast was (laughs) testing relic runners with you guys and i actually like relic runners all right uh it's a days of wonder game so you know great pieces and everything's very attractive it's very it's pretty simple Uh, and you're going to be doing a lot of point-to-point movements slash network building where you're trying to move quickly back and forth uh, to rack up points. You're, in theory, playing as archaeologists who are acting more like treasure hunters in the grand tradition of Professor Jones, that is, Indiana Jones. Uh, But it's, you know, it's a pretty fun little game with a nice little theme. It's uh, pretty quick to learn, pretty easy to play. So, you know, it's fun. If you wanted something a little more charismatic than Ticket to Ride is or uh, or uh, Power Grid is because they're both kind of bland, uh, then Relic Runner is a good place to go. My final suggestion uh, for the sort of network building aspect to capture that uh, aspect of Ticket to Ride is a game that is almost purely that, 
which is Tsuro. And Tsuro is the 15-minute version of Ticket to Ride. And I'm really pointing it out here because one of the things that you guys know about me, and I'm sure our listeners have figured out, is I really appreciate efficient games. I appreciate games that are able to evoke a sense of play and evoke a, a sort of me a mechanic or mechanism for play very quickly, very easily, and with minimal fiddliness. And Suro is ticket to ride as efficient as possible. Right? It is the most stripped-down, cleaned-up, high-efficiency version of Ticket to Ride you could ever hope to find. So you know, while Ticket to Ride's a great game about building your, uh, your little steam engines, this is the bullet train. It's a fast play and just a great time. And also, it's got dragons in it. <laughs> I mean, dragons beat trains, right? Right? I mean, come on. Yeah. Dragons. <laughs> and I mean, all you really have to throw in there to make it the perfect game would be, I don't know, maybe Dungeons. But as it is, Tsuro is a fantastic game. I think it does that e everything that Ticket the Ride tries to do, and I think it does it with less. There's less waste and less investment required on the part of the players to get the same amount of enjoyment. So those are my three suggestions. Power Grid, Relic Runner, and Tsuro. Uh, for the person who wants to go a little deeper into gaming, the person who wants something a little bit more charismatic, or the person who wants to see a really efficient version of Ticket to Ride correspondingly. Uh, Chris, how about you? What are your uh, suggestions for sort of next steps after Ticket to Ride? Well, Daniel, if you're going to build all those networks, you, you have to get some set collection going in order to get those networks down. So what I'm going to be talking about is set collection games. So as you know from Ticket to Ride, you're collecting those train cards hopefully in the same color to build that track, although you can get those wild cards. They're a little bit harder to get, and sometimes it pushes you back a little bit, but set collection's a really fun part to Ticket to Ride. So let's talk about some set collection games. First up, Lost Cities. Now, this is a two-player game. It's a very simple kind of game, but it has that set collection where there are these number cards of a particular color, and depending on the order in which you play them, you can start out a certain number, and then you kind of play down, you score points. What's really fun about Lost Cities is not only does it play fast, but it has that same type of light entry level kind of gameplay where you're just picking up cards of the same color, you're arranging them, you're deciding what to get rid of and what to play at a certain moment, and that is so all about Ticket to Ride. When do you collect just enough? When do you throw down that, you know, that network so you can start building it? You know, it's it's got a push push your luck element both in Lost Cities and Ticket to Ride. So that's a nice way to get started with Lost Cities. Now, if you want to go a little more thematic, a game that probably most people don't think about when they're talking about set collection games would probably be Lords of Waterdeep. Now, I know this is a worker placement game, but stay with me for a second. So, as you know in this game, you're going to get these mission cards, and you're going to try to accomplish these missions, and the way you do this is you place your workers, and you get warriors or wizards or rogues of a certain color, so you're collecting these cubes. So, the set collection here is just cube color, and even if you're not a D&D &D fan, and this is not kind of your genre, the game itself plays very simple you're just the, the card that you get is like the mission card that you get in ticket to ride you're trying to build that route for that sc scoring those points and instead of collecting cards you're just collecting cubes 
it's not very different. Um, everything's up out there in front of you, and it's really, really a nice next step game for a set collection. My final game is going to be Bonanza. Now, this game is all about collecting beans. Now, it's a little cartoony, but we all love a little bit of cartoony type of games. So, in this game, you are collecting beans of a certain type. And you'll have some interaction with other players, which is a little different, but so much fun. Now, you may not know this. This is an Uwe Rosenberg game. And it plays fun. It plays simple. The set collection is really nice because on each of the bean cards, it lets you know about the scoring possibilities and how many beans are available here. So, if you're moving up the set collection ladder, you definitely want to check out Bonanza... You absolutely, positively, we're all a big fan of this, Lords of Waterdeep. And if you just happen to have two players kind of sitting around and you want to take it to the next level, take them on down to Lost Cities for a great time. How about you, Anthony? For me, Ticket to Ride is, it's an awesome network building game. I love the set collection aspect. Uh, One of the really cool things for me, though, about the game is this big open map. Um, I don't yet have the 10th anniversary edition but i definitely want to get it because you can't make the game any better than enhancing the size of this map (laughs) um and that's that's really kind of the iconic part of any ticket to ride game you have the base game with the u.s map you have ticket to ride europe you have all those other maps from around the world you know in india or um denmark or china just all these great maps that kind of give you this tableau on which to work and it's a days of wonder game so it always looks really cool so that's a really cool mechanic for me so the one thing i wanted to focus on was you know games with really cool maps the first one that popped into my head and it's not the same kind of map in terms of like the beautiful artwork but it is very iconic and i have a lot of fun with it and i can visualize it even now if i close my eyes i can see where all the lines go Um, and that's pandemic and pandemic has a lot of other things in common with ticket to ride You have the set collection aspect. You are traveling around the map. To some degree, you're kind of connecting different areas, or I guess you're unconnecting them, trying to make sure that those outbreaks can't spread too rapidly and chain together. And while it's a completely different type of game, it's a cooperative game um, in which you're trying to basically beat the clock before before the game destroys you, it has a lot of the same elements, and it kind of falls into the same strategy level it's a little more complex and it has a lot of expansions that kind of build on that but it's a good entry-level cooperative game uh, for your gaming group if if you have people who like ticket to ride and you want to get them into co-ops pandemic is a great place to do it obviously there's other co-ops we like too like flashpoint that kind of do the same thing Uh, but if you like a map gotta go pandemic uh another really beautiful map and this will make daniel a little mad and i'm sorry uh, but it's got to be cyclades this is one of those just it looks so pretty and you just want to and it's you know that god's eye view of you know ancient greece and the mediterranean and you're trying to take control and capture those areas on the map and i know with the newest expansion chris correct me if i'm wrong the newest expansion you get kind of a new map right you do titans yeah, so they're, they're always making it better. Like, the artwork in this game is always fantastic, but the map is, like, the part that really stands out and kind of makes the game, you know, in conjunction with that auction mechanic, which is, again, amazing and unique. And it is it is a little more complex. It's not kind of in that entry-level or even intermediate-level gameplay, but it is a lot of fun for some people. 
and yeah uh, that's right but walk <laughs> that one back a little bit uh i enjoy it i would love to play with the titans expansion um i'd throw kemet in here too because we all agreed it was better than cyclades but the map is just bad the map so, is really bad so it doesn't count uh, I'll let I'll let Cyclades slide because Chris threw in Bonanza, which surprised me and is one of my favorite games actually. <laughs> so I, I love Bonanza. <laughs> we won't get our third official Cyclades rant today. No, no, we won't. I'll, hold it in. I'll I'll let it out and I'll just scream in my pillow for a little bit once we get off. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if it makes it into our bracket next week. Uh, the third game for me, and I actually was going to go one direction, and then I kind of shifted gears halfway through the episode, and that's uh, Concordia. So, Concordia is... We actually had a very long discussion about this after we played it at Dreamation about how and where it's like Power Grid. So, I know, Daniel, you just mentioned Power Grid, so I'm going to throw this one in there, too, because it has a lot of other mechanics in it, and we all really liked it a lot. It's a unique game. It has kind of a cool map with the different... You know, a a layout of the different areas and, you know, ancient Rome. Um, It's not... Uh, the same type of game you're not building roots or connecting anything but you are collecting different sets of resources that you will spend to get different things you are trying to control different areas of this map it is harder for other people to move through those areas and it becomes impossible at a certain point if you're there first and at the end of the game you know your goal is to have well it's not necessarily to control more of the map it's to have done it smarter and to get more points out of it which if while Ticket to Ride is generally about those routes. Um, there are ways to win in which you don't have necessarily the most routes or the, the largest network. Uh, it's all about how smartly you do it. So I like that one a lot. It's kind of like a new favorite on my list. It definitely jumped up pretty quickly after playing it. And while I do like Power Grid a little bit better, Concordia is definitely high up there. So those are my three uh, map-based games that I really enjoy and I feel are a good kind of uh, either next step or next next step after ticket to ride all right so those are our picks for if you like ticket to ride if you love it if you can't get enough of it try out these new games and now our final round drew what do you have for us you know i'm still excited from dreamation from my first big convention and i know we've been talking about going to gen con one of the cool things about gen con are the life-size giant games that they have you know, they did Cones of Dunshire and, and so many more. So I thought for final round, we'll talk about giant life-size games that we would love to play at Gen Con or any other convention. And my choice would be, get ready for this, guys, Lifeboat. Yes, I mean, get a real lifeboat, put it in the hotel swimming pool, and put all the players in the middle of the lifeboat and let them hash it out from there. I mean, there's nothing that really ups the tension, ratchets up the tension as literally being thrown overboard into the water with a life jacket, of course. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) But I would love to play a life-size version of Lifeboat. What about you guys? Well, speaking about lifeboats, let's talk about a lifeboat way out in the future. Let's call it the Battlestar Galactica lifeboat because it's the last possibility for humanity. So... My pick for the largest life-size game would be Battlestar Galactica. This is the semi-co-op trader mechanic here in this game. So being able to dress as the characters, being able to have the equipment, to be able to have a Cylon trader. Maybe you can, I don't know, have some LED lights that someone would have to kind of throw on a jacket and then reveal they're the Cylon. 
So the game does play long. It does have that diplomacy kind of element as you jockey back and forth and try to figure out who the Cylon or the multiple Cylons could be. It's a fun game and would really play well as a large lifestyle game, especially if you can get those Cylons to kind of come in and walk around a little bit and a little eye going back and forth. That would be great. <laughs> How about you, Anthony? What would, you, what would be your life-size game? Oh, man. Uh, so I think at this last Gen Con, maybe, or maybe it was Essen, they had a not quite life-size, but jumbo-size version of Battle of the Five Armies. Wow. Um, <laughs> I would love to see a life-size version of either War of the Ring or Battle of the Five Armies. Now, Drew was talking about LARPing earlier. This would be the ultimate LARP. You take yeah. a game like War of the Ring and you play it on a football field with maybe 50 or 60 people. Uh, I can't even imagine how chaotic that would be, but that would be fantastic. Oh, wow. Daniel. Yeah, got? so, you know, I had a few things pop into mind immediately, but the one that I'm going to settle on is a game that I hate in its current <laughs> version that I think could be made awesome is Robo Rally. Because <laughs> if you made, like, actual <laughs> robots and programmed them to move through a battlefield, right, and running all these obstacles and pushing each other into pit, you know, I think this is just BattleBots. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, BattleBots. That's what I want to play. <laughs> there I want to put BattleBots. Awesome. Okay, that's our final round. All right, so that's everything for this week. Please be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com, our guild on BoardGameGeek, our Patreon account. Thank you again for your support. Not only do we want to hear from you about what we should be doing in future episodes, but we want to hear about the bracket. Let us know what games you think should battle it out for the top spot. So Yes, we're. I'm doing this like tomorrow. I need your games now. <laughs> Otherwise, as Daniel said, no complaining because there was those spots available, right, Daniel? Absolutely. Again, if we don't do what you want us to do, it's clearly because of some sort of failing on your part. <laughs> we are blameless in this. We Attention are but instruments of your will. Attention all board gamers, please nominate Cyclades. I want like 20 Cyclades <laughs> nominations on this sheet. And it will not make it past the first round. I swear to you that. What, do you swear upon the gods? I, th I think the gods are in favor of that game. Depends on which gods you're talking about. <laughs> so for this Pantheon, this is Chris. This is Anthony. And this is Daniel, Lord of Thunder and Fire. <laughs> <laughs> and no matter where on the world map you tend to be, this set collection of podcasters will always bring you a route to join us at the table. Wow. Hey. Wow, Chris. That was, that was like, a cool. Do I, do I get a slow cap? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that is, you get the longest route. The longest, <laughs> longest <laughs> route. Boy.